Children's grades K through 3 are now dismissed to children of worship right through that door. Not seeing a lot of takers. That's okay. Well, good morning. It's good to be back. I've been uh, away for a couple weeks on vacation, and when I left just two, three weeks ago, it was the felt like the first week of spring, and came back, and it feels like the first week of summer. So it's a unique Cincinnati experience, something I've never seen jet lag do before. So, uh, and I was asking Drew just before the service, I said, Drew, you know, you've been doing this a while. Are there any tricks to this? Because this robe is getting kind of warm now, walking around the church. And he said, yeah, we don't wear them in the summer. And I was like, oh, thank goodness. So next week we'll be in our uh, more casual attire. But this morning... Uh, we've got one sermon left in our sermon series on getting to know the Holy Spirit. And if you want to trace the journey that we've been on, it's all on the front of your bulletin there. And you can see that we began in creation and we've traced the Holy Spirit's work uh, through the Bible, through the Old Testament, through the New Testament, through the Gospels and Jesus' ministry, and after Jesus' ascension and resurrection in the early church. And now we get to look forward to not only what the, the Holy Spirit is currently doing in the church, what... It's been doing since uh, the day of Pentecost, but also what the Holy Spirit will do uh, in, the, uh, in the final days. And so we'll be working out of Romans 8, uh, and unfortunately we don't have time to just read the entire chapter to you. So I've got it broken down into a couple uh, selections by point, which will be on the screen when we get there. But first, would you join me in prayer? Father God, we thank you for your word this morning. Just pray that you would... Uh, Open it to us, and, and that uh, the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our God and Savior. In your name we pray. Amen. So, uh, if you want to open your Bible, you can flip to Romans 8 and just kind of hold that there. Otherwise, it'll be on the screens, and I'll read it to you. But before we get into that, I wonder if anyone here is familiar with the Barna Group, B-A-R-N-A. So, uh, get a few hands. Okay, so they do research and statistics about the church and a number of other things. And they did in 2016 what they called the state of the church, where they pulled up all of the statistics they thought were relevant for American Christians. And in this poll, they found that 75% of Americans claim to be Christian. Now, I don't know, depending on where you come from, you might think that's a pretty good number. Some of you might think that's not so good, but 75% of Americans claim to be Christians. The same poll, however, read this statement to people, that same group of people, and asked them if they agree or disagree with the statement. And the statement is this. Good works result in going to heaven. Does anybody want to take a guess at what percentage agree with that statement? Oh, that's cynical. 75. No, it's not that bad. No, it's... Uh, Good works result in going to heaven of the 75% of Americans who claim to be Christian. 25% strongly agree. 30% somewhat agree. 14% somewhat disagree. And 28% strongly agree. So here's what you should get from that. If it concerns you at all that only 75% of the country claims to be Christian, it should concern you a great deal more that more than half of those people disagree with a state or agree with a statement that's contradictory to the nature of the gospel. And so what we're going to look at here is this common misconception. We're going to see it come up 
Uh, it, it's a re- reoccurring theme in Romans. Paul hits this really hard, this justification by faith. Uh, but there's an author and a pastor who passed away recently. His name is Jerry Bridges. And he said it this way. He said, My observation of Christianity is that most of us tend to base our personal relationship with God on our performance instead of on his grace. If we've performed well, whatever well is in our opinion, then we expect God to bless us. If we haven't done so well, our expectations are reduced accordingly. In this sense, we live by works rather than grace. We are saved by grace, but many of us, many of us are living by the sweat of our own performance. Living by grace instead of works means that you are free from the performance treadmill. And I just love that term, performance treadmill. It's something you get on and you walk and you walk and you walk. Sometimes you run and you don't go anywhere. That's what a treadmill is. Sorry to my friends who love working out. But that's what he's saying, that basing, uh, basing the idea that good works result in going to heaven is a treadmill. He says it's not going to take you anywhere. And he said, you know, you're constantly living under this scrutiny uh, of did I do more good than bad? You know, trying to balance the scales, trying to sometimes, you know, fudge them even if necessary. Uh, and so we have good news this morning uh, in that the Holy Spirit comforts the church. And so I'm going to begin reading in Romans 8, 1 through 4, and continue in 9 through 11. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by flesh could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteousness, the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. That was the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And so I did some uh, Google research, which is, uh, it's amazing the information Google has. In fact, there was a book that came out about it called Everybody Lies. And it says, Here's the information that kind of tricks psychologists and social psychologists because they ask people, you know, information for their jobs, but Google finds out what people are afraid to ask another person. And so Google can find out what people really ask versus what people uh, want to be seen as asking, which is a really complicated distinction. But according to Google searches uh, by Christians, how can I know that I'm saved or how can I have assurance of salvation, is the fourth most asked question by Christians. That puts it 10 spots above any question about baptism and 15 spots above questions about premarital relations, which you would think sounds a couple people's minds. But according to Paul, in Romans, anyone who has the Holy Spirit is assured of salvation. 
In Galatians, he refers to the Holy Spirit as the seal which marks you for life in Christ. And so if you are a Christian and you're in relationship with God, you are living life in the Spirit and are thus assured of your salvation. And so the work of the Spirit, and I want you to really see this from the lens of we're looking, getting to know the Holy Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit in assuring our salvation sets Christianity apart from all other religions, all other religious traditions in the world and man-made religions. When man, when humans uh, come up with religious systems, it is always a performance treadmill where we have to do more good than bad and hope that it is enough to earn a reward. In fact, I met this, this guy who came to our, uh, my church in St. Louis and his name is Matt and he runs a ministry called, uh, I don't remember what it's called, but it's a Muslim outreach ministry and it's in Tampa, Florida. And he said the number one question he asks Muslims who are interested in Christianity, exploring Christianity, he asks them, how can they be sure that they're saved? And they all get uncomfortable and say, you know, I can't. I don't know that. And he says, well, in Jesus, through the work of the Holy Spirit, Christianity does offer that. It does offer that. And he says that is the most uh, appealing part of Christianity to someone who comes from particularly a Muslim background. But I would imagine that's true of many other people. In fact, there are uh, many Christians who will be comforted by that information. And so that's how the work of the Holy Spirit sets Christianity apart. And so in Christianity, all of our hope rests in Christ's work on the cross and in his resurrection, while our assurance comes from the Holy Spirit. And so this should be a great comfort not only to the church at large, but to each individual Christian. But that's not the only way that the Holy Spirit comforts the church. So if you're a, a note taker, that's I've got three ways that the Holy Spirit comforts the church should have told you that before doing the first one. But the first one is that the Holy Spirit comforts the church with the assurance of salvation. But like I say, that's not the only way. This Another way, and, and once again, I'm covering three ways here, not the only three ways, but three ways from Romans 8 that the Holy Spirit comforts the church. But the Holy Spirit also comforts the church with intercession. And uh, we're going to read real quickly from chapter 8. This is jumping down to verses 26 and 27. It says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of... Uh, knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now, for those of you who aren't familiar with the word intercede, I know it's not a word we use a lot, but it's to plead on behalf of, to go on someone's behalf. So just in the same way that Jesus goes to the Father and takes the punishment we deserve on the cross, he intercedes for our sins with the Father, the Holy Spirit intercedes on a deeper daily level, all of our deepest groanings and longings too deep for words is the language that it uses. So Christ intercedes for our salvation, but Christianity doesn't leave you just there. The Holy Spirit intercedes with us uh, through our constant relationship with the Holy Spirit with these groanings too deep for words. And I've got a, a passage which I've had to uh, 
uh, a quote here from the famous Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon, who famously struggled with depression. And he uh, once said this about the loving comfort and intercessions of the Holy Spirit. And I've had, if you've ever, how many of you have heard of or read Charles Spurgeon in any capacity? Okay, so you'll know that he can be a little long-winded. Sometimes uh, he uses some these and thous. So I've tried to update this and appropriately uh, attenuate uh, his text here without butchering his quote. But he says it this way. He says, God, the Holy Spirit, is a loving comforter. I am in distress and want consolation. Some passers-by hears of my sorrow. He speaks soothing words, but he loves me not. He is a stranger. He knows me not at all. He has only come to try his skill. And what is the consequence? His words run over me like oil upon a slab of marble. They are like the pattering rain upon a rock. They do not break my grief. It stands unmoved as adamant because he has no love for me. But let someone who dearly uh, as his own life come and plead for me, then truly his words are music. They taste like honey. He knows the passwords to the doors of my heart, and my ear is attentive to every word. Oh, there is a voice in love. It speaks a language which is its own. Love is the only handkerchief which can wipe the mourner's tears away. And is not the Holy Spirit a loving comforter? Do you know, O oh Christian, how much the Holy Spirit loves you? Can you measure the love of the Spirit? He has loved you long. He has loved you well. He has loved you ever. He will still love you. Surely, he is the person to comfort you because he loves. Admit him then to your heart, O Christian, that he may comfort you in your distress. And so what Spurgeon is getting at here, and I don't know if any of you can relate or think he's being a little dramatic, but... He says he doesn't like it when strangers see him in sorrow and try to comfort him because they come and they say, you know, they say platitudes and they say things that are well-meaning. They sound nice. But he says, this person doesn't know me, let alone love me. They don't, they see that I'm in distress, but they don't understand my distress. He said, what I really want, what I really long for in times like that is someone who knows the depth of my sorrow and then can speak to me because those are the words that I can hear. And this is what the Holy Spirit offers. The Holy Spirit of God living in believers in constant relationship both with us and with God the Father knows our heart very intimately and loves us very deeply. And that is the comfort that the Holy Spirit offers. So it's it's not just the comfort, the assurance of salvation, but it's the comfort of constant intercession with God the Father who is God himself, the Holy Spirit. And so finally, we move to Romans 18 to 25. And this is the third way that I've found that the Holy Spirit comforts the church in Romans 8. A lot of qualifiers there. But in Romans uh, 8, 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, 
groan inwardly as we eagerly await for adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For hope, uh, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And so the third comfort that the Holy Spirit offers the church is the Holy Spirit comforts the church with the hope of the resurrection. And so the Holy Spirit uh, brings the fruit of the gospel to completion. And, and you, you may remember the Holy Spirit is the breath of life from the beginning, Genesis chapters 1 and 2. He's the breath of life. He moves everything that lives and moves and has its bring. It's the breath of God in it. But it's not just there with the Holy Spirit, but Jesus says in, in John chapter 3 to Nicodemus, no one can even see the kingdom of God unless they've been born again of spirit. So we can't even enter into the kingdom unless we've been born of the spirit. And that's also the work of the spirit. And now we get to uh, the completion of the, the gospel work. So we began the sermons here where all is right with the world. And the goal of the gospel, never forget this, the goal of the gospel is the complete restoration of God's good creation. One of my seminary professors liked to say it like this. He says, God doesn't make junk and God doesn't junk what he has made. He doesn't make junk and he doesn't junk what he has made. He does not give up on his creation because of sin, but he moves with the plan of redemption to restore everything that was lost. And that's how Paul can say that creation waits with eager longing because creation also suffers from the fall, which was no fault of its own, but its steward, uh, Adam. And now Jesus has come back. And so Paul reminds us that the rest of the creation eagerly awaits, but it is us Christians who are the first fruits of the spirit. That means the work of the kingdom of God is just the beginning uh, with Christians and eventually extend to all creation. Every aspect of creation will be redeemed, including, and it's written right here, the redemption of our bodies. Resurrection is that which awaits Christians, and it is not uh, some ghostly or merely spiritual resurrection, but it is a resurrection like Jesus's. So God doesn't come in when he saves a person and try to just extract some part, you know, try to salvage some part, but it is a whole rescue project of every aspect of you. So it's a whole resurrection, the whole body, Jesus's whole body was brought back to life and he was the first fruit of the spirit. And now we have the regeneration in believers that will eventually lead to the resurrection. In fact, when you get to that uh, Galatians 2, those promises, and he says that the Holy Spirit is the seal, says you're, you know, you're sealed in the Holy Spirit, you're marked for resurrection. You're marked for the new creation, and that's what ultimately awaits Christians. And so it is with these hopes that we continue the Christian life and the life in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit assures us of our salvation by sealing us in relationship with God through Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit comforts us by interceding on our behalf and uh, an intercession that only God, the Holy Spirit, can do. And the Holy Spirit offers us the hope of the resurrection. And so as we look back on this entire sermon series, the Holy Spirit's work uh, beginning in creation, we talked about how the Holy Spirit is the breath of God who breathes life into all living things. And we've seen the Spirit's work throughout history. 
And today we see the Holy Spirit's work in comforting and intercession and offering us the hope of the resurrection. But we also look forward to see the future work of the Holy Spirit, which is breathing new life into a resurrection, renewed and restored creation. Will you join me in prayer? Father God, we thank you for the incredible, immeasurable gift of your Holy Spirit. We thank you that over these past eight weeks, we've been able to explore the uh, sometimes forgotten member of the Trinity. We pray that uh, this series and your word would be a constant reminder uh, of the gifts that your Holy Spirit offers, the hope of assurance, the hope of the resurrection, the comfort of intercession, and the fellowship granted to us in the Holy Spirit. We ask that you would uh, keep these things in the forefront of our minds, that they would also penetrate our hearts, that they would uh, mold and shape us into the people that you would have us be, uh, and that your Holy Spirit would guide us uh, into being uh, your church. We ask all this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.